if, uh, if you missed any of our previous studies, they are on our website. Uh, just uh, look uh, uh, where you find sermons. They're all listed there. So if you missed any of the studies, you want to grab one of the ones that uh, we've already had, just go there and you can find those. Uh, Pastor Shane is traveling this week. Uh, they're at the counseling conference in Indiana. So you got me. Uh, we're going to start with a quick review and I would like for this to be as interactive as possible, so uh, this is all stuff Shane's already covered, so uh, easy stuff. We'll start, we'll start at the beginning. What is, what is hermeneutics? What is hermeneutics? Thank you. Study of Bible interpretation. How has God revealed Himself to man? Through nature? Yep, Man's the Word. Conscious. Man's conscience, yep. And through Jesus. Uh, how did the Bible come to us? Through revelation. Inspiration. Illumination. Interpretation. Interpretation. The last one should be easy. Application. There you go. Application. So God inspired man to write down the Bible using their own personalities. The Bible is inerrant, infallible, and inspired. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Word. He helps us to understand it, to love it, to know how to apply it to our lives. And we should ask Him to open our eyes uh, to understand it. Who determines the meaning of a text? Good, the author. That's right. How should we read the Bible? Prayerfully, with different translations. Fast. Read it fast. That's right. The whole, read the whole book in one sitting if you can. And start at the beginning and work to the end. So don't just, don't just parse it out and read it. <clears throat> the three steps of a Bible study are what? We, we talked about one a lot last week. Observation. There you go. That's right. We ask questions first to understand the context, both far and near context, uh, because we know that Scripture interprets Scripture. Uh, we look for things that are emphasized, repeated, compared, and contrasted. Y'all chime in wherever you want to now. Uh, this is where we spend most of our time in the observation. And then number two, interpretation. We, we want to determine the author's intended meaning. Uh, we, draw, we draw conclusions from the observation step. Can reliable sources be checked once you interpret a text? Yes or no? Yes or no question? Yes. But only after you've done your work with the passage. Then we talked about application. We answer the question, what should I do? All right. You've interpreted the text. What should you do? We apply the text to our lives. We can say, this is how the text applies to me. What can we not say? What it means to me. That's right. We can't say, this is what it means to me. Uh, we want to find the timeless truths that are relevant, or, re relevant for us today. Uh, a text can have many applications, but only one meaning. The nine application questions are... What? This was the end of our lesson last week, and we had some homework after this, right? So, what are the nine application questions? Anybody still got their notes? <clears throat> right? Number two. Right. Number three. 
Does the passage point out sinful behavior or attitudes that need to be confessed? Uh, number four, is there an example to follow? Number five, is there a promise to claim? Number six, does the passage highlight an aspect of God's nature and character that we should praise Him for? Number seven, is there a truth to believe? Number eight, is there a prayer to repeat? There's always a prayer to repeat. And is there a verse to memorize? There's always a verse to memorize. Uh, so, this is a good segue into our homework. Uh, our homework last week was to take Philippians 2, 1 through 11 and ask those nine questions. <coughs> Does anyone remember the meaning of the text in Philippians 2, 1 through 11 that we talked about last week? Anyone? All right, so Paul was encouraging the Philippian believers to be unified in their personal relationships because why? That's right. Judea and Snitchy? I don't know. Sounds like snitch to me. Uh, they were quarreling anyway. So Paul writes uh, that because they have been blessed <clears throat> because of their relationship to Christ, then they should make Him happy by being unified and getting along. Uh, they shouldn't be selfish. They should be humble by thinking of others first. Uh, he said this is the same attitude that Jesus had and they should emulate Jesus. He is God, but He humbled Himself. He became a servant, uh, a man who even humbled Himself to His enemies to the point of death. Uh, because He humbled Himself, the Father exalted Him to the highest place in authority so that everyone, person, or being will bow and everyone will confess that He is Lord, which will in turn give the Father glory. So uh, now we can answer those nine questions that, now that we know the meaning of the text. Is there a command in there to obey? That's one. That's right. Be humble. Consider others more important than you are. Verse 2, that's verse 3. Verse 2 says agree with one another. What does verse 4 say? Yeah. And verse 5? That's right. Have the same attitude as Jesus. All right, the second question, is there an error to avoid? Don't be selfish. That's right, no selfish or vain. Uh, verse, that's verse 3. Verse 4 says, don't look only at my, to my own interest. <clears throat> Arguing and complaining. That's right. Uh, number 3, does the passage point out sinful behavior or attitudes that need to be confessed? Verses 3 through 5 tell me that I should humble be humble and think of others as more important uh, than myself. Is there an example to follow? What, what, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Be like Jesus, right. Gave up his position, humbled himself like nobody else did. Uh, number six, does this passage highlight an aspect of God's nature and character that we should praise him for? What's verse nine say? That Jesus is exalted to the highest place, so much so that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Hey, that's something we should praise Him for. Is there a truth in there to believe? Prayer to repeat? How about a verse to memorize? Verse 3 through 5? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. 
Uh, each of you should not says look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. All right. So now we start with today's lesson. Chris, I, real quick, oh, sure. another thing that we have to yep. add to our Bible study and to the interpretation process is not only just application and the meaning of it, but it's also as we, we need to constantly be looking for theological implications within the text, meaning, meaning when we go to a text and we see something such as Christ emptied himself, right, for the form of a bond servant, mm -hmm. you know, there's a doctrine there. What does that mean? That empty means kenosis. And there's, there's, so we also have to look is what does that mean? But we also need, need to know is, is that there's many things that says that Christ, Christ when, he, when he took on the form uh, and he, that kenosis meaning he, he lost his glory, that he, lost, that he emptied himself, meaning there's some that teach that he, he lost his divineness. Well, that's, a, that's false. That's, that's actually heresy. So we have to be looking for these theological implications as well to show that, that not only application, but what is the truth that it's teaching us about Christ and what is it that we're teaching us? Yes, what is it teaching us about God, but, but not only how do we apply it to our lives, but this overarching theme of who God is and what He's done. So like even you, you see here that He, he had this attitude and... Uh, of, uh, and he humbled himself in the form of bondservant. This teaches his humanity. Right. That's doctrine. That that is a firm doctrine in which the scriptures teach. And so we need to be looking for those things. That's that's not necessarily application, but that's a truth that that expands the test of time. You know, right. whether 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 you're in this culture or that culture, those are the things we need to be looking at as we study scripture. Is I, I call them theological implications that you need to be pulling out and seeing what right. doctrine is taught in this text. Right, and Christ revealing Himself through the Scriptures. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's one of them. But yeah. you, you know, you see the Spirit. So yeah. I see the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? There's now we had the second, we had the third member of the Trinity within this verse. That would cause my mind to think, okay, what is He trying to teach about the third <clears throat> member of the Trinity? What truths do we get based on what truths do we see? That would go. The question is. is what does the third member of the Trinity do? Yeah. What, what is his role? We would see some of that role here uh, of the Trinity within just in this verse alone. Right. So, so you're bombarding it with questions. Bombarding the Scripture with questions. questions. Yeah. Of the uh, theological truths within Scripture. Yeah, yeah. Good. Good, good, good. Anyone else? Observations? Like I said, interactive. I love interactive. There was uh, <clears throat> something I heard once upon a time. This uh, seminary professor had like two verses, and I don't remember which two it was, but he gave his every class that he'd had for several, quite a few years, 20, 30 years. Read these two verses, tell me the scriptural meaning behind what's it conveying. And then they'd come back with their answer in the next class, and he'd say, okay, what else? And then what else? And he would do that all semester. And then after 20 years, he had like, 500 plus meanings that were all accurate the different students had interpreted or read or whatever different ways. And that's just like from two or three verses, it wasn't many, I don't know, but the same ones, not, not a bunch of different ones skipping around, the same two every year for 20 or 30 years. And you stop and look at it, which, and I think we probably all have done this, where you read a verse and you say, oh, that's what this means. <coughs> And that may be accurate. Then you read it the same thing again a month or a year later. Oh, that's what this means, which is different. Also accurate, but where you have multiple meanings out of one 
text, but all both of them are equally, and many others are equally as accurate. In a lot of cases, each one applies to you where you are at your walk right then, which is why you recognize that. The other one you recognize later because you're hopefully further in your walk <laughs> later. And uh, so there, there are a lot of different applications. So you're saying, yeah, more applications but one meaning. Well, multiple applications and possibly multiple meanings, but multiple meanings that are all accurate. There, may, he's saying this. There's layers. Oh, layers. of yeah, Okay, layers of meaning. Okay, I'm with you now. I'm with you now. Read something. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. What, it means this. Right. But then you start breaking it down. You're, look, you're looking at the words. You know, what does it mean to be Gotcha, inspired? gotcha. What does it mean to take the form of a man? Right. You can read it and get the meaning, but then you go, Pow, pow. Right, right. More is, re more is revealed to you as you go along. Yeah, right. I, got an, I, I got an example. I'll okay. Real sure. quick. I no, go hijacking, but this, I use this when I'm teaching this. I, I would have, if, if I was to tell you to, to describe this chair, right? I'll tell you to describe this chair. How would you describe it? What would you say? Just describe it. You're observing this chair. Metal with purple on it. Yeah. Okay, Chris. It's metal, purple on it. It's got a, it's, it's L shaped, right? Yep. That, you observe that. Bags. Phil, how do you describe this chair? Ugly. Okay. <laughs> but, but but as we as you observe that, as you observe all right, they describe this, but look, as I observe this chair, what happens more there's black. There's a black little square here. This thing has got a checkered pattern. It's it's purple, but yet it's blue hue in there. It's it comes down, you know, uh, two feet. It's about a foot and a half by a foot and a half. There's a gap here. It, it curves at a, a 45 degree angle. You know, it's got four legs. That's observing right. the chair. So what we've done is we've actually picked that chair apart. He's observed it. Mickey's saying the same thing. Now as my mind's continually going in Bible study, I'm observing it even more. So so now what happens is is that that verse has just come alive, and I've actually just been able to describe that chair. So that when you set before a text, that observation is really, you're looking at every minute piece. And it just depends on where we're at in our study. It may be just a quick study, but as you sit down, and especially as you're preparing for a sermon, yeah. you're, you're, you're pulling out every last bit of, of that. That's where your interpretation you know, starts right. to really deepen. Right. That's just why we do our, our small groups the way we do. Uh, so Shane is able to share what he's able to share on a Sunday morning, but then the small group leaders are, leaders are able to pick that apart uh, during the small groups, right? They just keep going deeper and deeper. So I'm with you. I'm with you. It took me a minute. I'm a little slow. <laughs> the different genres of Scripture is what we're talking about today, and we're going to talk about the epistle. Um, in case Shane was afraid that I wouldn't be in the right place tonight, he gave me this. <laughs> I didn't add that. He really gave me that. <laughs> right, exactly. So I know we're starting in the right place. So. <laughs> and this is, this is where we start in the handout as well. Uh, a genre simply refers to the type of literature that the author has written. Literature. Uh, the goal as students of God, of God's Word, is to be able to read the Bible, understand the author's uh, original meaning or interpretation, determine how that particular verse or passage applies to us. And in order to interpret the passage rightly, we must know the genre of the text or what type of literature the author was writing. Uh, so today we're going to look at the major genres of Scripture in this next list. We're going to learn a few key, uh, key differences to each one, although the things mentioned in each of the three steps of the Bible study will apply to each genre. 
And then we're going to use the three steps of interpretation we mentioned earlier to practice studying each genre. So if the next thing you see in your handout is, is a list of those genres. I won't go through each one of them, but the first one, I will, but just not through every book. Uh, the first one's the narrative. It's got some examples there, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the ones you don't expect, but also the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Uh, then you've got your wisdom and poetry, again, what you would expect, Job, Psalms, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, and on. Then you've got your prophecy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the way through Malachi. Uh, you've got the epistles, uh, which are the letters, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, they're all listed. The parables, which are within the Gospels. And then apocalyptic, which are parts of Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, and Revelation. So uh, in biblical studies, genres are usually associated with whole books of the Bible, uh, but a book may be composed of a, a variety of the styles uh, in literary forms. So they may bear the characteristics of more than one genre. Think about the book of Revelation. Chapters 2 and 3 uh, are prophetic. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, the first book of Revelation is prophetic prophetic, but then two and three are similar to the epistles. So, so it can have more than one in there. You're welcome. You got a pen? Need a pen? So determining which genre uh, a book, uh, the book is will determine how you understand and interpret the book. Uh, the narrative and the epistles are usually understood literally, while wisdom, poetry, and apocalyptic books are often understood figuratively or symbolically. And usually it's, it's pretty clear uh, whether the text is to be understood literally or figuratively. Think about Jesus saying, I am the door. And then think about him saying, I and the Father are one. So which one of those two should be taken figuratively and which one should be taken literally? Yeah, right, right. Figuratively, he's a door, but he's not really a door, right. So one's figurative, one's literal. You can usually tell that pretty easily. So we're going to continue to look at the different genres of Scripture and use the three steps of interpretation to practice studying each one. And I'm saying continue uh, because we've already studied an epistle, Philippians. That was 2, 1 through 11. So a few comments that we need to remember when studying an epistle. An epistle is a letter. It's written to a particular audience addressing a specific issue. And they're usually pretty straightforward, uh, easy to understand and interpret, or easier because uh, ancient letters are, for the most part, you know, pretty logically structured. So 21 of the 27 New Testament books are letters. Uh, in the New Testament canon, Paul's letters are in their present order by Letters to the churches, largest to the smallest. Letters to individuals, largest to the smallest. Uh, Paul's epistles are named after the recipients. So the structure of an epistle or a letter, uh, the first introduction, the writer, uh, the recipient, a greeting usually, think Philippians uh, 1, 1 through 11. Uh, the body of the letter, which is the main content, is Philippians 1, 2 through 4, 20. And then you got the conclusion, the benediction, uh, prayer requests, etc. That'd be Philippians 4:21 through 23. All right. So, using the techniques that are mentioned in the observation step, number one, 
bombard the text with six questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Number two, look for clues to help yourself understand the near and the far context. Look for clues to help you understand the near and far context. Lots of clues in there. Then number three, uh, watch for things that are emphasized, repeated or compared and contrasted. We talked about that earlier. Uh, number four, look for and follow the development of the author's main point, ideas and themes. Look for key words or key connecting words like such as, therefore, then, now, but, because, etc. All right. Do you think it's ever important to go outside the Bible and look for like historical facts or what's going on historically in that time period to help you maybe get a better understanding of what the author was thinking? Personally, I love to do that. I, I do. I love to do that. I think it's important. It provides context to what's going on. <coughs> I agree. I would say absolutely. It's very yeah. imperative. Mm -hmm. Yes, Dean would be a prime example of that. Yeah. know what's going on in his day. Right, right. I'm just always thinking about the way like, I have a Google at my, um, I can use Google now, but back in the day, you know, before Google existed. I remember that vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number, what was that supposed to be number five, isn't it? Remember, yeah, it's supposed to be number five. But anyway, remember that these letters uh, we're written to address specific issues. To understand them, we have to understand the context or the background behind why the letter was written, which is what Josh just said. Party. Um, seek to understand what is to be understood normative, as normative and what is to be interpreted as cultural. You touched on that a little bit earlier. Although these letters teach doctrines and contain a lot of theology, they were addressing issues and do not include the author's full understanding of each doctrine. Does that make sense to you? See what? If you have any questions about any of these, feel free to ask. All right. All right, so what happens when we come to a difficult text that we can't determine the meaning of? Be afraid, skip it. Be afraid and skip it and move on. Uh, for example, the meaning of uh, because of the angels in 1 Corinthians 11.10 or baptized for the dead in 1 Corinthians 15 through 29. Any of these ring any bells for anybody? Or Jesus preaching to the imprisoned spirits in 1 Peter 3.19. Those are difficult passages, hard to understand. The reason we don't understand texts like those is because we don't know the context. We just talked about it. We've got to know the context, right? We don't know the context in which those were written. The text wasn't written to us. So when Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 6, that uh, they are to recall, talking to the disciples there, to recall that he used to tell them these things. And therefore they know what's holding back the man of lawlessness. So we may need to be content with our knowledge, uh, that we our lack of knowledge, excuse me. Uh, we can be sure that if God wanted us to know something, He's going to communicate it with us, right? He would have communicated it with us. Uh, so we need to focus on what we can know from the passage and don't concentrate necessarily on what we don't know. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15 through 15:29, Paul tells us that some in Corinth were being baptized for the dead. 
we'll probably never know who was being baptized for the dead or why they were being baptized for the dead because we don't know the context. Uh, we do know that some were doing it. We know Paul neither condemns or condones it, the practice. Uh, uh, but what these difficult texts do is what? What do they do? Keep us humble. Yeah, can't know everything. Like, like we're talking over here, we bombard the text with questions. We try to know everything we can. We can't always know everything. Even though some of the details uh, of these scriptures are difficult to know, the point of the passage is almost always clear. So that's where we focus our time. Uh, Brother Shane talked about that last week. That's where we focus our time. Understand the main point of the passage. In those texts that are a little bit difficult or we don't know, it is important to, but it is important to read in the context of that immediate passage, though. Because a lot of times when we, if, let's just say we bring that text up right there. Read in the context. Is that what you said? Saying, what I'm saying is when we, when we, when we, a lot of times we pull these hard. We, when when anybody brings a text like that or any difficult text, we don't bring in the full context of what the author is saying. The author is is laying out a case the majority of the time. He, it, it's it's. It's logical. Paul is logical in his case. So when he brings up something, it's not just out of whole cloth that he brings it up. It is in context of what he's already speaking of. So when we have a text such as baptizing for the dead, I would actually say is, is you could you can go back into historical contexts and outside of scripture and actually find out what was happening in those days. In fact, we have we have people today who are baptizing for the dead, which would be the LDS church, which would be absolutely wrong today to do. That is, I mean, they do it completely wrong. But what I'm saying is, is is the context of the text is going to determine the majority of what that text is 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 talking about. But even if you have some if you have an ambiguous text where it's difficult, we don't make a doctrine off that, but what we do is we go and we talked about it earlier is you go and you use other scriptures to try to what is he saying here. So we go we can go to other scriptures to be able to bolster what he means by this or maybe what he doesn't mean by this. So that would be the analogy of scripture. That would be what the reformers call it is the analogy of scripture. You would go and you would you 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 interpret scripture based off of other scriptures. So, if that makes sense. Yep, but aren't you just trying to find the main point? Well, the, the, the main point could be the main, the main I mean, point. I mean, isn't that why you're doing what you're doing, though? That's what I'm saying. You're trying to find the main point? Not, not, well, I would say, I would argue, not necessarily. I mean, yes, you're always trying, you want to know the main point of it, but, but you're also wanting to know about God. Your whole point of knowing this Bible is theology, is knowing more about God. It's not just knowing the point of the text. It is theology. It's knowing what is what do we... It's deeper than just saying, okay, Paul was writing this letter for this. Well, it, it, it states more... It, there's different layers to it, and it's, there's a theology in these things, and you're learning about God the more and more you're studying the Bible. So yes, main point, but also... What does this teach us about God? That's 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 why we read the Bible in the first place. Sure. That's why we sure. Yeah, but I, I guess the point of this is saying that we can't understand every scripture. Some of them are going to be hard. Uh, we can understand the main point of it, but we, we don't always know all the details of it because. And I see what you're saying. Go out and try to get the broader context. We just got to be very aware and not read in a context that perhaps isn't there. But I see what you're saying. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that's what he's saying is that the, the point that somebody's making, that Paul was making, would be his argument about that point would be found within the scripture around that that section he's talking about. Right. And the full understanding of Paul, that's what and earlier you talked about, we don't take uh, the epistle to understand that the author's full meaning 
in those subjects because we take his other epistles right. too to understand that. So Paul addresses something here for a specific reason, but he addresses all of it and all of the scripture. That's how we understand it all together. So it's 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 all the scripture, but <laughs> to the main point too. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Makes you know, sense. To fit together. It's like yeah. um, you know working a jigsaw puzzle. You, you you can find two pieces and you they they look like they go together, but you'll find out for sure as you put the whole puzzle together. You may find out, oh, I thought these they look like these go together, but then later you see that they don't. Yeah. So whatever, you know, those difficult passages, you, if you think you have the interpretation of them, you kind of have to plug that back into that passage and then like read back through that book, read back through that paragraph. Does that make sense with the, the surrounding whole? Right. We don't yeah. want to jump on that one teaching yeah. and develop our whole understanding based on that one scripture. Right. Mm -hmm. Other scriptures don't say that. They don't teach the same understanding. Right. Being baptized and washing your sins away. Now, yeah. does the water mm -hmm. wash your sins away? Well, it says it right there. Right. It says it washes your sins away. Yeah. But that's not what it means because we got the other scriptures that right, right. puzzle piece together. We know that water can't take your sins away. But that's what he said according to Church Christ. That's what they stand on. But you put it all together, well, that's impossible. Anyway, I think that's important. No, that's good. That's good. I think that's a really important what where Blake and Chris and Phil were all going to understand the, the, how important context is in our point in history is because we have such a, a saturation of bad interpretation or <laughs> bad theology. Yeah. To, in my opinion, there's more bad than there is healthy teaching today. In, in, in the church as a whole. And one of those yeah. things is where we're superimposing theology based on what a single verse says and saying, see, this is, this is what this means. One example that, that, uh, that drives me crazy is when Jesus says, have you not been told, has God not told you that you are God's? And they take that and they have this whole doctrine around little gods. Back to the LDS you know, I, I church. Know people that believe this way say we're little gods. That's that's not at all what it means. Not at, I know it literally says the words "Are you gods?" But if you look at the scripture that Jesus was repeating, it doesn't mean that at all. It's and it's it, after you read the original scripture, it seems like common sense, but. If we are not diligent and go out and see if these things are true, if these things are as they say they are, then you're like literally millions of other people will follow. And because there's literally millions of other people following that, we think that means it's credible, right? So we have to be careful and diligent to make sure that what they're saying is true. And whether it's... Uh, it makes you feel good, or it doesn't. Right. We we need to search for this ourselves. No, no, that's a that's a very good point, and I think just the fact that you got however many people we got here tonight trying to learn how to study the Bible. You know, mm -hmm. if we had more churches across America that were doing this, right, having I don't call it a so discuss, right discussions ones. like this. <laughs> we're what? We're the right ones. Is that right? <laughs> for sure. One of the things they mentioned. You have a lot of groups now, probably more groups than ever. That will take a verse and twist it and get the wrong meaning and apply that as the main point of doctrine. Yeah. Right. 
kind of think that's true, but from two different reasons. First off, I think we're toward the end of the age when people are about to be start calling good evil and evil good, which is very prevalent in the last two or three years. Right. Uh, but also, that has always been going on to some degree from Old Testament times. But when you look at from the time of Christ till now, most people did not actually have a Bible. So they were taking what the Catholic Church told them or what other church leaders after the uh, Martin Luther, the Reformation, stuff like that came about and you had others. They didn't have Bibles, so the printing press. Now you have Bibles out there where everybody can get one so they can start their own little David Koresh cult and do whatever they want to and no matter how ridiculous it is, somebody will believe you. <laughs> and then they'll follow you. And so you have a whole lot of people that have access to the Bible in order to be able to twist that. So I think that's why you find so much more of it so widespread with a lot of different things now because it's so readily available for somebody to twist it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, How many people in here know who David Koresh is? All right. <laughs> Other people as old as me. People. You remember Blake? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you too? You remember? Oh, huh? I had something to add. Yeah, what you got? Along with what he was saying, even in the last, probably the last few days before Paul had his head chopped off in Rome, he was telling the Ephesian elders, there's, in the last days there's going to come people, even out of your own, that will teach a different Jesus of a of, of false and polluted gospel that hmm. will sound, that will sound right, but its only purpose is to deceive and be deceived. And then, I can't remember if it was First Timothy or Second Timothy where it said that seducers are gonna wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Yep. Most of the epistles, Paul warned about against false teachers. So this isn't new. No. Yeah, right, right. It's, it's not new, like I said, it's False teachers have been around even since the Old Testament. However, you have far more of them now fulfilling prophecy, but also because of the availability of Scripture, they can they can twist it. They can show somebody where it is. Where before you couldn't necessarily twist it that easily because you didn't have the Bible, and yeah. whoever you're trying to lead astray didn't necessarily have the Bible either. They'd have to go to their another you know, pastor, maybe leading them astray. And, and there are a lot of things. I think are very wrong with Catholicism, theologically speaking. Yeah. But uh, been a lot of things that were uh, corrected sometime later. The Great Awakening corrected a whole lot of stuff. Um, but now you have so much and so many that are teaching so much false doctrine and false teaching. Yeah, well, you have to be a lot more aware of it. I think that's why we should be doing this and, right. and learning this, and not just learning it here, but taking it home and practicing it, and doing the homework. Uh, we have to be Bereans, you know. They studied the scripture. That I mean, Paul the apostle was coming to them, and they studied the scripture to see if these things were true. Spurgeon said that discernment is the hard part. Of discernment is not telling the truth from an error; it's telling the truth from almost the truth. And so it's that. You know that twist. It's not outright. Outright lies are often easy to tell. It's the it's the twist 
Well, yeah, the twist is twist is what gets you. That's right. The twist is what gets you. I mean, we've mentioned several. Uh, Blake mentioned the LDS Church. I mean, all of those have uh, just enough truth in them so that when they stop by your house and knock on the door, they can sound a whole lot like what you're used to hearing, right? And then they just uh, lace a little bit in there with it. So, like I say, go ahead. Down to what you're saying about how it's easier when you have try well not easier or it's not easier to determine a truth from a lie when it's almost a truth because it's not it's not going to be easily taken because the devil did that with Jesus during temptation where he quoted Psalms 91 and it said when he told him to cast himself down they for God's given his angels charge concerning you to keep you in all thy ways but he skipped out on the part that he didn't he didn't necessarily like and he kept back so even though he was he was quoting he was quoting the bible he, he quoted it right but he misquoted it in that he didn't quote the entirety of it right which exactly right what, what we're talking about here the whole context right just take a little bit out just make it say what you want to say and then uh that's how you get them <coughs> All right, the next genre, narratives. A narrative is a story written about a real historical event uh, and people that teach us a truth about God and his plans. Uh, narrative literature makes up about 40% of the Old Testament and much of the New Testament, uh, including much of the Gospels and the book of Acts. All right, things, some additional things to remember when studying the Old Testament narratives. Number one, read the whole narrative. Pay attention to the plot of, uh, of the specific text that you're studying. All of these things are repeating a lot of what we're saying here, what Blake said, what Phil said, what Chris said. I mean, a lot of this, uh, what Mr. Mickey said, read the whole narrative. Pay attention to all of it. Uh, don't try to interpret parts of the narrative apart from the whole Number three, that ought to be an easy one. Who's always a hero? Jesus. That's right. God's always the hero. Number four, remember narratives don't directly teach doctrines. They illustrate a doctrine that is explicitly taught somewhere else. Remember, Old Testament narratives don't record what should have happened, but what does happen. All right. Similar to, tell me if I'm going too fast. I know y'all are trying to probably write these things down. Similar to what we've already discussed, the author may repeat key themes and phrases to help the reader understand the main point of the text. When they were writing these things, they knew there were slow people out there like me, right? Keep repeating it, keep repeating it. You ever try to teach your kid to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, no, sir? You got to keep doing it, keep doing it, you know? And that's the same thing that he's doing for us, trying to help us learn, like people like me. Some people, like Brian Billings, only have to look at it one time. I got to look at it like 12. I did remember Jessica's name, though. Uh, look for authorial com uh, comments where the author will interrupt narrative given information to help us interpret and understand the narrative. There's an example in 1 Kings. Oh, is that the end? Let's be some more here. Oh, I left out the examples. That's what I did. I knew that shouldn't have breezed through that so quickly. 
All right. Number, let's go back here. Number four, there was an example in Daniel. Let's see. Don't, there's an example in Daniel where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the image of gold. So what, what principle did they illustrate when they refused to bow down to the image of gold? Right, exactly. So a good question to include when studying a narrative text. Why did the Lord want the author to include that in there? That's why. Uh, in number five, there was a, also an example uh, where it said Old Testament narratives don't record what should have happened, but what does happen. We've got to distinguish between uh, what the Bible records and what it approves of, right? Sometimes the narrative is just, it's recording history. It's not saying that we, the Bible approves of it. Think about David and Bathsheba. Uh, then you got Jephthah who sacrificed his own daughter uh, in order to fill a vow unto the Lord. The Bible's not condoning those things, just recording those things. They happen, right? Um, and again, um, number six, similar to what we've already discussed, the author may repeat key themes. Um, so for homework, we're going to practice studying narrative texts. Uh, Does y'all have in there what Joshua, Joshua one yeah okay Joshua seven one through twenty six all right so what are we gonna do we're gonna read the text the surrounding text read it several times read the whole book how do we read the whole book remember from the beginning start at the beginning go to the end read the whole thing in one sitting if you can uh, bombard the text with questions like we were talking about with Blake there bombard it with questions just keep keep asking questions. Um, and that's the observation step we were talking about to determine the, the near and the far context. And then write down what you discover about the context. Who's it written to? Who's it written about? Why was it written? Those are all the things that we're going to do. And so next week uh, when Shane is back, that's how he's going to start, just like I did. Review all the, everything up to this point, and then we're going to do our homework.